to know that healer. I am so thankful that he is that healer. And I am so thankful that a long time ago, he saw fit to heal this broken life. So thankful that he saw fit to reach to me and to touch my life and to never be the same again. Sorry, I'm trying to find a page and talk at the same time and I struggle at multitasking. But I am thankful that he saw fit, that he could reach to my life that was a mess, that had all of its problems and all of my mistakes and I had turned my back on him and chose not to really live for him anymore but he said you know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him another chance and he picked me up and he healed my broken life and I am thankful that I know that healer and that he is not just that healer or the healer but he is my Jesus and I'm thankful for that this morning I will apologize in advance I'm going to be eating cough drops like they're candy this morning I started out with not a lot of voice and then I hooted and hollered for a little bit and I don't have any left so uh, and Abby, I didn't give you a sermon title. How about Calvary is enough? I just got a text asking for that. Um, but I, I am thankful this morning to see everybody here. Glad to have our visitors with us. Our first time guests, we would love to connect with you in our guest welcome center after service. That is straight through, I guess, three sets of double doors, but just straight back. We'd love to connect with you for a few moments, get to know you for a bit. Uh, let's remember our meetings after service, ladies, meet with Sister Shay. Um, quiz parents and Bible quizzers and anybody in, interested in helping with Bible quizzing, I'd love to meet with you in the Guest Welcome Center after Sister Shay's meeting. But with that, we're going to get into the Word for a few moments. I will say I'm excited. Sister Sheila, thank you for finding my Bible. Most of you probably know because I announced for a long time my Bible was lost, but it is found. Not only is it found, it's been sent off and recovered and back, and it's the first time I've been able to preach from this Bible in about five months because it had disappeared. Um, but Sister Sheila found it, and I, I owe her about four ribeyes, I think. Is it four? Okay. We were up to four ribeyes, the bounty on my Bible. So I owe Sister Sheila four ribeyes, or Sister Sheila and three of her closest friends, one ribeye each. I don't know. She says she doesn't share, so y'all out of luck? Um, I tried. But uh, we are, I'm thankful, Sister Sheila. It, me, it means a lot to me to have my Bible found and uh, be able to preach out of my own Bible and not want to found laying around the church. We're going to start out in the book of Matthew, the 27th chapter. I'm going to read one verse while you're standing, verse 35. <coughs> uh, it's a simple and a short verse, but a whole lot said. Matthew 27, 35, and, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it, it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. We're going to focus for a few moments on four words. And they crucified him. We take a moment and ask that the Lord would touch our hearts this morning. Lord, I, I ask that you speak through your word to our hearts this morning, God. We ask that you anoint lips of clay to minister unto your people that we can receive what you have for us today lord god we thank you and we praise you you may be seated i i've mentioned before the weight carried in those four words and uh the the fact that it's whether it's and they crucified him or there they crucified him but uh, all four authors tend to put it in about four words the greatest act that we find throughout all of scripture and we have 
We have a whole lot in here, a whole lot of pages. Sister Shay, I, I was listening to that video you played earlier, and he was, he was talking about the lady praying in this such and such chapter and verse and the 863rd word on the 40,000th page or whatever it was. But there's a whole lot in that Bible, but one of the most powerful acts that we find, dare say the most powerful act that we find between the two covers, is in these four words, and they crucified him. Now we can find a lot of other scripture describing what happened and what took place there, but in the reality, the debt of my sin was covered in those four words. The debt of not just my sin, but your sin, all of humanity's sin was covered in in those four words, and in those four words, a lot was there. It, none of the authors took in time to uh, describe how or what was happening as the boards were laid down into the shape of the cross, and Christ was laid upon it, and the nails driven through his hands and driven through his feet, the shock that went through his body as they stood the cross and dropped it into the pre-dug hole, and as that began to tear his body apart and separate his lungs, the excruciating pain that went through his body, all because he loved me, and all of that is contained in these four words, and they crucified him. And we read that, and I, I won't lie, sometimes when I'm just doing my Bible reading, if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm just trying to get through a task. I'm a task-oriented person. I, I get up in the morning a lot of days, and I make my list, and I put about 40 hours worth of stuff on my 24-hour days list, and I get started and try to get it done, and most of it doesn't happen, but I get to, okay, Bible reading, okay, I need to read these chapters, you know, you get your little bread chart out, and I've got to read these chapters, these verses, okay, we're going to get through these, okay, check, 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 and I'm a fairly quick reader, and I've read through all of those, and I'm done, and I can move on to the next task, and if I'm not careful, I'm reading through, and I'm at verse 34, and they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him and parted his garments, and, and I'm reading through, and I've got my reading done for the day, and I can skip right over the enormous weight of what happens in these four words. And they crucified him. This morning as I, uh, I've known of what I was speaking this morning for actually a few weeks, but as I was kind of finishing up my notes this morning, finalizing what we were going to talk about, as I began to read those four verses, I had to set my coffee down and move my notepad out of the way for a moment and simply take a moment and thank him because of what happened in those four verses. I couldn't help but have a tear come to my eye this morning sitting at my dining room table because I realized the weight of what's carried when they crucified him. Weight that was carried in those four words, every sin, whether it be from before, whether it be from after, the sin of David and Bathsheba was carried in those four words. Every sin that we find throughout the Old Testament that was simply rolled back for another year by, by a sacrifice that wasn't perfect enough to wash it away, just perfect enough to push it back. We can go all the way back to the beginning and read all the way up to this point and all the sins that we read and all the ones that we don't read of humanity to that point, all of those sins that have been pushed by the Jewish people as they 
made their sacrifice every year and simply rolled that sin on. And I imagine that like a snowball rolling down a mountainside that you've got a, something small and it's one sin, but as it rolls and it begins to roll and it begins to roll and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and all the sin that had been pushed on was all carried from that point. That debt was paid at that point. But not only that, all the sin that would happen from that point on was carried. And we, we talk a lot about the state of the world today and how rough things look, how bad it can be. And it's pretty rough out there. I mean, we look out and I can't imagine just, just walking around trying to quantify sin. Imagine if, if you walk around and you just start counting up all the sins that, that you see happen. My notebook here... I think there's 80 pages I counted in here. Those 80 pages wouldn't take near long to fill up. I couldn't get through the rest of today just filling up sins. There's a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of weight, and all of that sin from Calvary forward is all still paid for. That debt is still covered in those four words. And they crucified him, and I... I thought of that, and I thought of a conversation I had recently. And some of you, if you're at my Tuesday night Bible study, we, we did talk about this a little bit. So, uh, Sister Tina, you got a preview to what we're talking here for a moment. But I had a conversation recently that someone told me, said the most arrogant thing that an individual can do is to think that their sin is so great that Calvary didn't pay for it. Now, I had never thought of that as arrogance before, but, but really begin to think about that, to think that anything that I could do would hold more weight, that everything that I could do could somehow hold more weight than one thing that Christ could do, is, is a, thinking awful big of myself. And yet we struggle sometimes, and we say, well, I did this, or I did that, and there's this sin and this problem, and I've got all this going on, and look at all of this, and how could God reach to me? How could God love me, care for me? How could he give me salvation? How could my problems be covered? How could my situation be covered? Look how bad this is, and yet Calvary simply paid all the debt. We, we find in the book of Hebrews, we'll go there for a moment, the ninth chapter, I'm going to start reading verse 11. It says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, mind you, he's speaking to those that knew of the old tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, not the church that we're at, not this building, but neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place. Mind you, these goats, these calves had been sacrificed, pushed, rolled sin back year after year after year. Imagine some three million Israelites for however many years and however much bigger they grow. Take all the goats and all the calves and I tell you what, there's a whole lot of burgers that went into sacrifice. A whole lot of goats and a whole lot of cows. Yet he says, but neither by the blood of the goats or of all the cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption, that is forever for us, for me. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, my voice is, I don't know if you heard it there, it's starting to crack, so if I start like hoarsely shouting, just bear with me. 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He says, if the blood of the goats and the blood of the calves could roll all that back, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who offered himself without spot, without blemish, how should that purge your conscience? Now, oftentimes we look at sin being rolled back and we look at Calvary taking our sin away and we look at it as it giving us salvation, but it does more than that as we read here in my favorite book, because while pastor will say otherwise, we know Christ was a coffee drinker. It says right here, Hebrews. Um, pastor will watch that later and I'll get a text. Um, but uh, as we read here in the book is being written to the Hebrews, to the people that knew about the pushing back of their sins. They knew all about sacrificing goats and all about sacrificing calves. They knew all about this bloody mess. And I'll tell you, I didn't want to be in ministry in the Old Testament because that's a mess. That's a nasty business. The, The goats and the calves coming in and the slaughtering and the burning and the smell and all the mess. But they knew all about all of that. They knew what it was and what it took to roll their sin back another year. And as he writes, he says, how much more shall that not just take your sin away, but purge your conscience so that you can serve the living God? He says, purge your conscience from, he calls them, dead works. Once that sacrifice has been given and once that's been over my life, once I've been buried, once I've repented and I've been buried with him in baptism, and that has taken that from my life, those are no longer my sins, those are dead works. They no longer are. They cease to be in my life. Zoe, you were talking this morning, and I hope you don't mind if I use you for a bit of example. Zoe was talking this morning in, in Valor Project a little bit about how uh, he can look at his friends that he used to spend some time with and the things that he used to do with them and where they're at in their life and can't imagine thinking about doing those things today. I have the same situation, and I have the people that I can look at and the people I ran around with and the the things that we did, and I can't ever imagine going back to that, Sister Michelle. That's not a life I want any part of anymore. But I don't have to dwell on that because those are dead works. No more is that part of me. No more is that part of who I am. That's part of the old man and who I was. But today I'm the new man, and that is not me. And those dead works don't have to sit on my conscience anymore. I don't have to hold on to those things anymore. I don't have to look back and say, oh, but I did this. And I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And the whole time Christ is saying, you did what? That's gone. I might remember it and I might hold on to it, but that conscience can be purged so that I can serve God without all of that weight hanging on to me. I don't have to because that work is dead. Because he is our more perfect tabernacle. We jump down to verse 27. Read 27 and 28. It says, as it's appointed to men, talk too fast, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He was appointed to bear my sin. There's a song that nobody here is going to know, probably, uh, by... What I thought at about 16, 17, 15, I don't know, years of age, was the greatest band of all times, the Orange County Supertones. 
I don't know if you know the Orange County Supertones, but they're a Christian ska band from the last turn, not the turn of the century in the 1800s to the 1900s, or the 1900s to the 2000s. Well, I guess that one. Somewhere around 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. But there's a song they had that talks about my sins yelling crucify. And I don't listen to them often except to annoy my children. Um, it's rare that we, we play the Orange County Supertones unless Braden's in the car and I want to aggravate him. Uh, which does happen, but uh, it's good stuff. But as we, as I listen to that, I, I think often far more than I listen to the music. I think of this one song that says, "My sins yelled crucify louder than the crowd that day." He's speaking of the crowd as they're yelling, "Crucify him!" As Christ is being judged, and Pilate's saying, "Well, what do we do here? Do you want him or do you want Barabbas?" And they're pointing at Christ and saying, "Crucify him!" I have to realize that it's my sins in that crowd. It's my sins. It's my life shouting, crucify him. But once he went to Calvary, those sins have become these dead works. And I can look for him without sin to salvation because he he already paid that debt. Because regardless of who I was or how I lived my life or where I was or what I did, Calvary is enough. Regardless of how great the gap, Calvary bridges that span. And we read in the book of Revelation, in the 12th chapter, verses 10 and 11. Excuse me. As I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And in verse 11, and they overcame him, him being the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I I am thankful to know my granny had a saying, and she said it frequently. Usually in the middle of a song, it's excitedly is the word I'm looking for. And she'd kind of jump up, a lot like Sister Shay does, kind of jump up from her piano and one hand still hitting things and the other hand's... She'd say, but I know that I've read the back of the book and we win. My granny would shout that probably at least once a week I'd hear it. All my life. And I'm thankful that I can read here and I can understand that I can overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. You see, my testimony, if you weren't in our uh, sectional rally last week, you missed out. But Nick Mahaney did a wonderful job. And as he began to give his testimony, there was a whole lot I didn't relate to, but there was a whole lot of it that could have been my story. A whole lot of it. The first, I just didn't stay out as long as he did, otherwise I would have shared the story word for word probably. But I, I, he was telling his testimony and talking of the, the depths that he went to and the things that had happened, and I I began to understand that that was, that was my testimony because I was raised in a ministry home. My, my grandfather and my father co-pastored for most of my life. Prior to that, my grandfather pastored. Um, my grandfather was the only pastor I really knew and, until he passed away. I, I spent a long time there. I, I was raised, dragged to every camp meeting, every church service. I got to meet a whole lot of heroes of faith as a kid because my grandpa would go preach all over and uh, 
he was on the board for a while, and I'd get to go to all these cool meetings and meet all these cool people. And uh, we'd be sitting in meetings, and I'd hear some of these testimonies. I'd hear some of these uh, stories from my grandpa's uh, friends at dinner afterwards, and I'd hear all these things that had been done. And I, I knew all of what God could do. When Mahaney talked, if you were there, about a story about them having no food and somebody knocking on the door and being a carload of groceries, and I could tell you the same exact story that I heard from my grandfather. I remember my, my dad doesn't like, there's a few foods that my dad still won't hardly eat to this day because they were home missionaries and they moved to upstate New York and they had a few kids in a 14-foot Shasta camper. That's what they lived in. And I don't know if you've been to upstate New York, like 40 miles from Canada, but it's like not warm there in the winter. Um, I don't remember much. We moved back when I was five, but I remember on my birthday, which is October 22nd, if anybody forgot, being snowed in so we couldn't get out. Um, like, like you can't open the door of your house because there's like three and a half feet of snow in October. It's, it gets cold where my people come from. And, and it was real cold there, and it, they were in this little camper, and the walls were about this thick, and they said the whole thing would shake when the wind blew. And There's some things Dad talks about still not being able to eat because he doesn't like potatoes a whole lot because they, they didn't have any food, and my granny was trying to figure out what to cook. And I mean, she was like, well, we got some oil and some pepper. I don't think any salt. There's not a whole lot of meal here. And someone knocks on the door, they hear a knock, and they go to the door, and there's nobody there but 150 pounds of potatoes sitting on the front porch. So they had potatoes for breakfast and lunch and dinner for like a month. They got tired of potatoes, but God provided. My dad will not eat pot pies, like the frozen pot pies you put in the oven. I don't think any of his brothers eat them. Because there was two months of eating pot pies because... Somebody knocked on the door, they open the door, and somebody carries in when there's no food in the house. Like hundreds of frozen chicken pot pies. That's what I think of, Sister Laura, when I see your deep freeze of soup over there. I think of these stories I've heard of all these things. And some of the things weren't all that bad. I remember eating as a child the second-to-last caramel apple wrap. Now, I ate it. But this caramel apple wrap was from the 70s. Um... And it had been in my grandmother's freezer, the same freezer, since the 70s. And there were two of them for a lot of years. Somebody got tired of eating them in the 70s. And there were two caramel apple wraps left. But they had like 500 caramel apple wraps. And it was just a piece of caramel that you just roll out and heat up and wrap it over the apple. And you got a caramel apple. Well, I took the second. The last one still exists. It's still in the same freezer in my what's now my uncle's house. And... I would recommend that nobody eat it. I didn't feel well after eating the second to last one. Maybe because it had been in the freezer from the 70s till like 2003. Um, but I, I remember eating. I just wanted part of that experience, you know. Uh, it wasn't good. But uh, the stories that I heard, I, I should have had the faith to do anything because I had heard all the stories. I had seen all the things happen. I can remember the story of my grandfather uh, he did construction to be able to pay the bills to preach, and he he fell out of a third-story window and landed in a concrete parking lot. And they get there, they called him first. They called the coroner, not the ambulance. And then they're like, "Well, this guy's actually alive, so we probably ought to get an ambulance here." So then they get an ambulance there and said, "Well, he'll never walk again. He'll never talk again. He'll never move again." And three months later, he was preaching two services a day because he was pastoring two churches still. 
um, back and forth doing everything he needed to do and back on the roof building houses. Because God is an awesome God. He can provide. I remember the stories of my grandmother telling of a Sunday school class that she went in one Sunday and teaching and said, that mountain right there, if you said to it be moved, it'd be gone. Speaking of scripture, and a little kid says, well, Miss Evan, next week I say that won't be there then. And one week later, they had brought dozers and trucks and moved every bit of dirt and that hill was no longer there. Stories of people walking into the back of the church demon-possessed, shouting and screaming and not even human voices. And my grandfather walk up and lay his hands on him and demons cast out, dead raised. Anything that could happen could happen. My grandparents, they, they saw a lot in their ministry days. Stories of faithfulness that I remember him telling, and I told somebody this story this week, when, they, when Ronald Reagan called my grandfather and asked him to come to church or to come to dinner at the White House, he said, I'd love to, but that's a Wednesday and I've got church. He didn't go because he was a faithful man. I knew these stories growing up and I had seen what God had done through their ministry even in my life. And Yet when the time came for me to make my decision, I decided I'd rather be out partying than I would in church. I'd rather out be out drinking and racing and doing whatever than I would in church. My, my thing to do for me was to get about as drunk as I could be and still stand and then go race motorcycles. That was what I thought was a good thing to do. That was a good time. And uh, we'd, we'd run around town until the cops got after us. Then we'd get out of town and we'd go find a place to race. And then you start betting money and you try to win some money racing. And that was, that was what I thought was a good time. I saw friends wreck and friends die and people hurt and didn't really care because that was my life. And that was what I did. A time came that I found my rock bottom and I was sitting in a jail cell and realizing that it was a whole lot better at the church house than it was in that jail cell. Realizing that there was a whole lot better way to live. And I already knew, and I, I knew what it was, and it was shortly after that. I didn't quite turn it around there, but shortly after that, I remember being at a party, um, and I never was scared to say what I thought. And I was at this party, and this girl was, was talking. I said, that's wrong. I said, what are you talking about? I said, hey, there ain't three, there's one. And of course, I probably had a lot of other words that I'm not going to repeat in the midst of it, but in the middle of that, I got into an argument about the oneness of God. That was a Saturday night, and the next morning, I decided I needed to be back in church. I quit living in the car I was living in and went back to my parents' house, went back to what I knew. My grandfather preached that next morning, and I couldn't tell you what he preached because I sat there in tears the whole sermon. I, I was able to make my way back to God, and God, I say I didn't make my way back to Him at all. He found me, and He picked me up. But I was able to look back at everything I had done and been through in the life I had lived. And I'm thankful this morning that I can say that I can overcome all of that. And no matter, there's most days I don't really think about who I once was. I don't think about where I've been or what I had done or what I had went through. I don't think about all of that. There are times that I... I run into somebody, or I, as today I'm using it for an illustration or whatever, that I, I look back at my testimony about what God did for me, and I'm thankful. A year or two ago, I ran into a, a police officer that had known me in my younger days, and he said, I'll be honest, I really never thought I'd see you alive again. But I, I am thankful that I can look back at that, and I can say, Jesus, Calvary, 
For all my mess and all my mistake and all my problems, Calvary is enough. And I don't have to spend a day on it. I don't have to spend the time on it. I don't have to worry that I can't get there because I know that those are dead works. And I know that I can overcome because of the blood of the Lamb and because of my testimony that I can make heaven my home. I know I can get where I need to go and I can take every step. And I'll tell you what, no matter what I face in my life, I know I can get past it because I know where God brought me from. It doesn't matter what life throws at me tomorrow. It doesn't matter what I run against tomorrow, what shows up tomorrow. I know that I can still live for God after tomorrow because I know what He did for me. I can see the pits of hell He brought me out of. I know what He can take me through. So this morning, Sister Shea, if you'd come. I, I got more notes, but I don't see the need this morning. I think that it's simply enough to realize that regardless of what I face and regardless of what I've done, regardless of who I have been, it doesn't matter because Calvary is enough. David was a murderer and an adulterer, but Calvary was enough. Rahab was a harlot. Calvary was enough. Zacchaeus was up in the tree looking to find Jesus, but Zacchaeus was a liar and a thief and a cheat. and Nobody liked him because of who he was and how he had taken their money. But for Zacchaeus, Calvary was enough. Saul was holding the coats and organizing the stoning of Stephen. Yet it's the Apostle Paul that I find writing so much and speaking into my life because for Saul, Calvary was enough. I can go throughout, but I find one of the realest stories is the thief hanging beside Christ on Calvary. Thief that was there not because prophecies needed fulfilled and a sacrifice needed to be made, but a thief that hung on Calvary beside Christ because of what he had done, life he had lived. And yet for him, as he hung there beside Jesus Christ, while Christ was in that immense pain, even at that point for that man, Calvary, you see, was, it was enough. This morning, regardless of what we face tomorrow, regardless of really where we are in our walk with God, if we are at that place that we're struggling, God, how can you love me and how can you care for me? How can you reach me? How can salvation ever come to me? Because look at who I've been and look at what I've done and look at the life I've lived. I, I can tell you this morning, if you're in that point, that Calvary is enough for you and Calvary is enough for your life. If you're, if you're at the place that you say, but Brother Littles, I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and I've lived for God for, for 50 years. I can tell you that regardless of what tomorrow holds, we can get through it because you can look back and understand that Calvary, Calvary's enough. So this morning as Sister Shea begins to play, these altars are open. Please, please come and take a moment. If you've got something that you're carrying with you, Calvary's at the altar. There's some sin that you've done, something wrong you've, you've had happen in your life, something you've done. That Calvary's here to take it from you this morning. Christ is here saying, just give it to me. Let me take it. I've already paid the price. This morning, if you 
carries some other weight. These altars still sit there to hold it. And maybe this morning you come carrying no weight. The altar is still here for you to come and to bask in the presence and to worship and to exalt and to lift up the one that paid that price for you. I think that feeds each of us, so if we could all come this morning and find a place, find a place to spend some time in the presence of an almighty God, because this morning Calvary was enough. Oh,